This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Yay! Hello! Welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. My name is Lisa. Hi. Hi, my name is Kara, and you guys know the drill. Every week we dive into an SVU episode, the true crime it's based on, and then we chat with an actor or a person involved with the show. But first, we catch up, we banter, we gab. Lisa, what's up? (laughs) Well, um, I don't know if anyone saw on Instagram, but I did find the Maloney Men's Health in person at the Walgreens in Old Town in Chicago. And I'm happy to have it in my possession. It was hard to find. Yeah, he looks great. I was at airports. I was at Jewel. I was like running around and I couldn't (laughs) find And I was so happy to uh, have found. I should have bought a few more. Maybe I will. But happy to have him in my presence. I think that's awesome. I think it's really impressive how, I mean, everything on the internet or like on Twitter lasts for, it feels like two days and Stabler and like the SVU hype has been going on now for like a couple of months. He just keeps doing photo shoots, the butt, the earrings. I mean, it's just like, it just keeps feeling like he's really riding this wave, like all the way into the next season of OC. And of course, what I want to talk about is, I want to talk about it, not because I want to talk about it, but because everyone's writing to us about it. Did you see this troll that that uh, Hargitay and Maloney did where they posted a photo of themselves inches away from kissing? But to be honest, the same distance that Elliot is usually away from a perp when he's like, I know what you did, you piece of shit. Like he's always looks like he's about to kiss someone. And so they are in like a almost kiss. They're fully trolling people. I don't think we're ever going to get what they 
what people but want. But I don't want it. That's the yeah. thing. Like these people could want whatever they want. I want better for Benson. I don't want a man who like toyed with her emotions for decades, ditched her ass, no call, no showed. And then yeah. finally when his wife dies is like, fine. All right. I'll give you something. I don't sure. want that for her. I want someone who's going to go out of his way to be with Olivia Benson, knows the prize that she is and support her in her lifestyle. Maybe a man with money who can just take care of Noah while she's at work or something. Like I don't want a man who won't go to therapy to be in Benson's life. That's not what I want for her. And I feel like if they were real people, they would be, they would, they would just like fuck one time and it would like not go great. Yeah. You're right. What have we all been talking about (laughs) for 20 years? Like they would, it would be too weird. They'd be like, I felt like I was with my brother. It would be weird. You know, you're right. If this was real life, he would have definitely cheated on his wife and they would have fucked in the back of the car one time (laughs) for sure. And then he would have felt guilty and then she would have switched partners. Yeah. If this was real life, there's no way there wouldn't be cheating. Yeah. I think it's definitely hotter to leave it up in the air forever. And I think that's what Neil basically has alluded to with us. But anyway, I wanted to get your take on it because it feels like every we were getting many, many tags. We need you to weigh in on this. We need you to weigh in on this. And like, I, I just, I think it's very clear. I don't mind your ships and who you guys are obsessed with, but I just am not like, I'm really not a huge, like Bensler forever kind of person. I love them together as like working together on the show, but I just don't need to see it was it was a hot little photo i'll say that yes of course i like people having fun on instagram you know like yeah yeah but it is wild they are it's like bro you're 60 get off the gram (laughs) no i um i love a troll i love a trick i love a kiss i like it all and i'm here for it i just would love for our character olivia benson to get a bigger love story than get you know a widow. Because also our our Mariska Hargitay is with a much hotter man in real life, so we don't need to worry about her. We're just talking about Benson, the character. Yes. Um, also, um, I just wanted to really quickly bring up, just to follow up, because a couple people wrote in to us about the woman that Lisa met at the store who went silent when Lisa suggested, oh, do you love to paint? <laughs> So, so I get a text from Kara with a photo of the employee going, is this the girl? And I, I, I I think I've been drunk. Okay. I have to be honest with the listeners. I have been drunk. I've been drunk for days. I, something come happens to me in Chicago. I know. Cause I've texted you a few times and been radio silence. And it wasn't until I sent you a picture of the daughter girl that I got you to write back to me. And I was like, she's in Chicago. She's in her Chicago bubble. Oh yeah. There's, I've not been checking emails. Truly nothing. I, I, there's nothing. But then what happens with drinking is everyone knows. Then the next day you got to start drinking immediately or you're not going to survive. So it's like, you know, it's like chasing this hangover wild beast and I love it and it feels um I feel lucky and perfect but um (laughs) I don't know if I will survive the week (laughs) well thank you for confessing but I was excited for this text (laughs) and so she said I send her this text because I'm at the same store and I'm having a weird interaction kind of with the girl that works there and I'm like this has got to be the girl so I and I don't like to take pictures of people when they don't know I don't like when people post those on Instagram and stuff like look at this guy's fucking outfit on the subway or whatever but I wasn't putting this online. I was just sending it to Lisa. And I was like, is this the girl? And she was like, LOL. Yes, it is. And I was like, she needs to get out of retail. This is not her. This is not her business. Like, I literally was like, but I was there to buy a gift, a baby gift. And I was like, 
um, can I just get a gift receipt for that? And she looked like a deer in headlights. I mean, she was like, we don't do those. Um, I can give you the code, uh, the order code. I was like, girl, it's not that serious. Like she just like, you do gift receipts. We are frequent shoppers. (laughs) Our printers broke. I mean, there was all this kind of (laughs) stuff going on. And, and, but what was funny was that a couple days earlier, I had checked the that's messed up email and a couple people had written in their theories about this girl. One interesting theory was maybe the minute that Lisa spoke to her, she recognized her from that's messed up her voice and got starstruck and couldn't talk. I don't think that's the case now that I've been in there, too, now that I've seen this girl in action. But a very flattering idea. The other uh, suggestion, somebody goes, is it possible that she's like a famous local painter and was like taken aback that you didn't know who she was? And I was like, I don't think we don't have like a famous local painting scene here in in Highland Park. Unless, no, you know. I mean, I, I know one of the bartenders from what is it? Junior. He makes rugs. I saw him on um, selling some cool mm-hmm. rugs. But if she was a well-known painter, I don't know if she'd be working the yeah. register, but maybe not, you know, <laughs> right. but maybe because I remember the, you know, the guy from American Pie that like accidentally ate the pubes or something like he was like the the creepy Sherman in that movie, American uh-huh. Pie. I read somewhere that like he he's been a server and people are like, wait, I know you. And it, it sucks for him because he, yeah. he's like uh, day jobbing it. But I don't know. I don't cut all this. I um, no, <laughs> I I don't think she's a good painter. I don't think she's a good communicator. And I think she's a maniac. And we'll see her again soon. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just more so updates. glad. I'm so glad that we I like did some investigative journalism and found this woman. And now I I can put a face to the weirdness oh you know i have been complaining uh for a while i know i'm not even at my home but um my air conditioner has been broken for so long and then finally someone came this week to fix it finally Uh, uh and i'm out of town they're like we need someone i go someone has to come i don't care if i'm not in town but um the guy calls me and he's like i can't see it i don't see the address and i'm explaining the building and i go i don't know what you want from me sir and it's like i'm so close to getting this new air conditioner what is happening i'm texting the management company he put in the wrong address and he was five miles away from the apartment Oh my Which was God. fine, but I got a video. The air, I have a new air conditioner. I'm going to go home to a brand new, nice, Woo! cold apartment. But I just couldn't believe being so close to it and having this man just be like with very, we had a language barrier situation, but I have a foreign father. So I'm like able to push through and really understand. <laughs> but like, I was like, I, I don't know. How, I don't know how to tell you how to find the door. I'm like, there's a building. There's a pay. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It's sir. pretty easy. If you have the right address, <laughs> your place is not hard to find. It's like so I'm um, so fucking frustrated, but so happy. I also I'm um, in the news. Some a topic that's interesting to us. So we talk about a lot, but um, the only fans, there was some controversy um, and they took it back. Yeah. Happy to see their U-turn on that. Yeah. And they're making it seem like it's it's I wish businesses were more upfront where it's like, yeah, I guess uh, the bottom line, we need you guys. Like, I wish it wasn't like for much. Th- it's like bullshit, fluffy language on how they've changed their minds. And it's like, no, you don't care about anybody but money and you need to admit it, you know? No. And it's like your only fans, you're not cameo. You're not Patreon. Like you're trying to turn your platform that was built by sex workers into like a place where celebrities can do cooking shows or some shit. Like we have other places for that. Like that's just not what you are. Oh yeah. It's all very, very frustrating, but I'm, I'm glad it's back in action. I think it would be fun if only fans could also incorporate non-sexual stuff so that like, 
all that stuff can live side by side and, and, and sex work online wouldn't be so stigmatized. You know what I mean? Like let's get, I don't know, who am I thinking of? Some random celebrity, Jennifer Aniston to do a cooking show on OnlyFans that's completely non-nude and it's side by side with someone that's doing. They are, Kara. <laughs> what do you mean? There are, there are people on OnlyFans just doing regular stuff. I know, but I'm saying like more mainstream it. Like people don't really know that. It's really associated with the sexy stuff, right? Yeah. 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 I was saying like, I know people are doing that, but. I just think it would like or the the idea of what I is in the culture is very much like, oh, now you got to get a real job. I guess you got to get a real job. And it's like, what is not real about it? Yeah. What, what makes uh, sitting somewhere in an air conditioned office more or less of a real job? It's like fucked up. The way people think about everything is wrong and we're always right. And it sucks to be better and smarter than everyone. Trust me. You know? I just had to have it's a big a, burden. <laughs> I just had to have a sex work is work conversation with my husband who I, I usually consider to be pretty woke, but sometimes he's on the wrong side of things. And I had to talk to him about it. What was his point of view? He, he was for OnlyFans to get shut down? No, he wasn't for OnlyFans to get shut down. He was just kind of like, I, I don't know. He, he, his point of view was crazy. And I was like, but he also has a cold right now. And I was like, I think you're talking out of your ass and you're not making any sense. And I think the day quill is getting to you. Like st- sex work is work and it's not, there's nothing wrong with it. What was, was like, his point? Are you embarrassed right. to tell us? <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it was so crazy that I was like, no, you're you're wrong. <laughs> I like talked to him about it and he was like, OK, you're, you're probably right. Yeah. I mean, the <laughs> fact that you didn't tell me about it even off there means it was probably something very crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know I my I've always struggled to make sure that Lisa and my husband stay friends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because I actually just saw a post. Um, someone shared it um, that I liked and. I'm opening for my friend Jared Freed and a lot of his material is like dating advice and his podcast is mostly dating stuff. And so I saw something that was really interesting um, where it was like, it seems like, are you okay? I was just, I was trying to do a quiet sneeze. Sorry. <laughs> well, from what I saw, it looked like you just puked. So I was more worried. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I was no, trying not to interrupt you and I interrupted you even more by trying to do a quiet sneeze. No, I'm just glad you're not puking. But basically this tweet that I saw, it was like men want unattached sex so often. They, that's what they like. If you are a man that wants that, why aren't you hiring sex workers? Oh, my friend just sent me this meme today. 20 yeah. minutes ago. Yeah. So it's like, men, you want no strings attached sex. And there are sex workers that provide that service. Yeah. Yet you don't do that. Instead, you manipulate women who, you know, want a commitment and then you act crazy when they expect a commitment, but you are tricking them to get what you want and ignore what they want and then calling them crazy. And it's like, obviously you can find women that want no strings attached sex as well, but especially listening to the advice that Jared's like fan base wants. It's mostly like this guy's treating me like shit, but he keeps taking me out and I don't know what to do. And it's like, you're fucking with people. Hire sex workers. Yeah. Why don't you just pay someone to fuck with no strings attached instead of ruining some, you know, poor PR girl's life. I don't get it. Yeah. That said, I mean, if you want to have, if both sides want to have casual sex, like, you know, no, nothing wrong with that. But that's not what we're talking about. I think the point, yeah. the point of the meme was, the the hypothesis of the, that Twitter thread was men enjoy the manipulation and trickery yes. to fuck yes. someone. I'm getting away. I'm getting away with fucking somebody and not putting in any of the emotional work or the commitment instead of finding someone that also just wants to fuck. Yeah. 
whatever. We're let's start the episode before I fully generalize everyone. I mean, my sister's husband's a great guy. Okay. Oh yeah. Well, there are, you're like naming the one good guy, you know, that's so funny. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let's get going. We've got a great episode for today and Lord knows we could fucking talk forever about whatever. All right. We are doing learning curve season 13 episode 21, a twist, a thon this episode. So here we go. We start the episode, Munch is eating at a restaurant with Finn's son, Ken, and he tells Munch he's getting married. And Munch is like, Mazel Tov, I'm guessing you haven't told your dad yet. And he's like, I'm hoping after you meet Alejandro, you can help us break the news. He'll be here in five minutes. Did you sing Lady Gaga? Did I what? You didn't sing Alejandro. Alejandro, Alejandro. No, but I love that song. Yeah, that's why I'm shocked it didn't go into your head. I'm sorry. It didn't even come into my mind. Thank you for putting it together for me because I do love that song. So this scene and the scene of them in the restaurant is kind of like cross cut with the scene that's happening. We're we're at a rundown apartment where a young pregnant woman is like asking her man where he's going. And he's like, I'm going to work, lay off me. And like, then these dudes show up. It see, it has, it has, um, you know, an air of gang to it. Like, I don't want to judge anything too quickly, but it does seem like there's some gang activity happening. And then back at dinner, Alejandro's there. He's very hot. They're a very, very cute couple. And he's like, I've been working myself up to meeting Finn. And then Munch basically gives the old be yourself advice. And he's like, you know, Finn might seem imposing, but there's a lot of depth there, a lot of heart. And then they sort of all separate. Ken has a night shift. So Alejandro takes off. Munch stands there and tells Ken, like, Finn is really, really proud of you. He talks about it all the time. So you're kind of like having a sweet moment with like Uncle Munch. I kind of love this, like, uh, like surrogate. Not that he needs a surrogate father, but he's like another father figure kind of to him, like an uncle. Um, The camera follows Alejandro. Ominous music. A van is following him. Nothing good is about to happen. Suddenly these dudes jump out, put a hood over his head and throw him in the van. And... It's the guys from earlier, we find out. It's like all those guys that went into the apartment earlier to get the um, expectant father. And now they're at this gross apartment and they are like, hola, Alejandro, you in the mood for love? So it's like they know Alejandro. And then they give the guy, the main, the expectant father, they give him a bat. And they're like, time to teach this pretty boy. And he really looks like he doesn't want to do it. And then they go to take Alejandro's pants off. And then that's the credits. Ugh, bad. So now... At the precinct, Ken comes running into the precinct and kind of like falls into Finn's arms crying. And we are at the hospital talking to Alejandro and the like the right side of his face is just pulverized. Like it's very, very good makeup work because it's making me feel really sick and bad. And it's not it's like ugh. Like he really has been beaten, beaten badly. Um, He's basically recounting what happened. He says they beat him, sodomized him and left him for dead on the sidewalk. He said there were four of them. They were speaking Spanglish. They knew his name. And then he says, don't tell my family I'm here. So we're already, you know, there's a lot of clues that this is a gay bash uh, incident. And he obviously doesn't want his family to know or to be involved. Ken admits to Finn that Alejandro is more than a friend and Munch breaks the news about the engagement. Finn does look a little shocked, but then immediately jumps into cop mode to try to like find out who did this and what's going on. 
They tell Finn the hate crimes units on their way. And Finn's like, we're not giving this to hate crimes. No way. Like we, we know when something is close to Finn or any of the detectives, they try to handle it themselves, even though it's like most of the time against policy. Next scene, Rollins is leading kind of like an info sesh where she's like, look, there's been a lot of, uh, there's been an uptick in gay bashing all over the city, but this one really matches the MO from a case in the Bronx, a guy named Barry Flacco, who's Dominican. He was jumped outside of a gay bar, taken to another location, beaten all the same shit. And they're like, okay, maybe it's a gang initiation. And so Finn, Finn's like, oh, I'll go check out XYZ. And Olivia's like, Finn, the captain doesn't want you anywhere near this case. Duh. Yeah. Cragen's at a conference, by the way, and uh, Munch seems to be like filling in as like daddy for the day um, at the hospital. Amaro goes to see Finn. And so clearly people are still helping Finn get information, even though he's not on the case anymore. So Amaro goes to Finn and is like, um, you know, I think one of these guys had a tattoo that matches uh, this gang called BX nine and Finn's like a gang, a bus route. They named this gang named themselves after a bus route. And Amaro's like, that's the thing. All the good gang names were taken. Ha ha ha. Um, Amaro leaves him with a book of mug shots to run by Alejandro. And then Finn asks um, Ken if Alejandro has any gang ties and, and Ken's like, he's a stylist. So not really. And they're like, what about his family? Now we're at the home of Marisol Pavel. Rollins is telling Finn, Marisol is Alejandro's cousin. Her boyfriend rolls with BX9. She opens the door and that's when we find out it's the pregnant woman from earlier. Cesar is his name. He's not in the house, but obviously she somehow gives up where he is because the next scene he's being interrogated by Amaro. He's not in the gang yet because he doesn't have the tattoos. So this must have been some kind of gang initiation to give up, a, to quote, give up a queer boy in your family. And the guy's like, he's not in my family. So he's he we can tell he didn't really want to do the crime, but he's not exactly an ally. Um, Benson is questioning Marisol at the same time. And Munch is asking Rollins like, oh, you brought this girl in all by yourself. And like he definitely knows something's up. He knows that like Finn is um, fully dipping his dipping his hands into this case a little bit. Um, Cesar won't admit to the gun or anything about this attack. And then Amaro's like, cool, no prob. I'm just going to pin the gun on your baby mama. She's going to have the baby in prison. She's going to blame you. And he's like, no, okay, the gun's mine. And Amaro's like, no, you tell me about everything that happened with Alejandro or the gun is still hers. Next thing we see is all these perps being brought in. Alejandro and Barry Flacco, the first victim, ID all of them. Cesar says he'll testify. So this whole piece of the episode is kind of wrapping up, but it's only the end of act one. So what's going on? We're definitely going to head somewhere else as we usually do on these SVU journeys. Um, Next thing we see is a guy walking down the street. A van pulls up. Guys jump out, put a hood on him and throw him in a van. And when he turns, we see that it's Tony Hale, one of the greatest comedic actors of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, We're both huge Veep fans. So love to see him in a little um, dramatic role here. So now in the hospital, Tony Hale has his arm in a sling and he's like, SVU, is this about these attacks in the news? I'm not gay. Again, in SVU, everyone knows every crime that's happening in the city. Like everyone knows all of the patterns. And it's like, I read about this and I'm not. Also, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like Tony Hale's an SVU fan. Like, I think this was a big deal for him. Oh, maybe we maybe we can find an interview or something and see. I just get the vibe that he is into Benson and is paying attention to what's happening. <laughs> that I, I just get that because that's, just, no, that's, that's how I feel. Yeah. And you know, he's a sex in the city person. Do you know that? 
Oh, really? How do you know? Well, I saw him in the show, um, but... Oh, wait. <laughs> he was in the show? Yes. Who is he? Um, when Samantha is feeling good about her body and does a naked photo shoot, he is um, the assistant to the photographer. Oh, Lisa, these are the things about Sex and the City that you clock that I well, just don't. I mean, because he like the photographer goes, we'll put music on to make you feel comfortable. And she goes, I'm comfortable and like strips down and puts her leg up. And then Tony Hill makes a face that we can imagine of just like, you know, drop, you know, jaw drops. And he's oogling her when he should be working. Oh, wow. See, I, he, I must have seen that before I knew who he was. And I have maybe I haven't revisited that episode. But nothing gets by you with Sex in the City. So I bet you he does love Benson, if that's the vibe you're getting. Anyway, he's in the hospital. He's like, I wasn't sexually assaulted. They were calling me like, uh, you know, homophobic slurs, but I'm not gay. And he says the van smelled like dirt. Okay, and he and weirdly, he goes, I don't want to press charges. I just want to go home, which that is kind of weird. Like if you were just fully innocent and got attacked on the street, I think you'd probably want some kind of if you don't want people to know you're gay, you might not want to press charges. Sure. Also, what does dirt smell like? Like an earthy, earthy kind of thing. I don't know. Like, I think if you got into a van that like a like a guard, like was like a gardener's van or something or a landscaping van, you'd be like, I smell dirt. I don't know. Um, But good question. He doesn't want to press charges. He just wants to go home. So, yes, you could. That could make you think, oh, this is like a a guy that's close. Or we talk about this all the time, that pressing charges and going through the court system and the cops sometimes isn't worth it to people, you know, like. Oh, for sure. For sure. I just just like, no, I don't want to testify and fuck all of you. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like that I, that I thought that was like more kind of prevalent with sexual assault because people just don't believe women as much. But if someone like if most men would probably be like, oh, somebody beat me up out of nowhere. Yeah. Press charges. But you're right. Everyone has their own story and their own uh, feelings towards the cops. So who knows? Because I also bet he was sexually assaulted. Maybe not. You think he was? Maybe not. Hmm. Said they kicked him in the balls. Um. Now we're at the hospital and Finn is with Ken who tells him Alejandro doesn't really have any family in New York. Um, I guess besides this like gangbanger cousin's boyfriend, his father stopped speaking to him when he came out. So that's probably why Alejandro was like, don't tell my family about this. Um, So now the cops are kind of brainstorming and they're like, maybe this is totally unrelated to these BX nine guys. Tony Hale, who we find out his character's name is Rick Sims is a high school math teacher recently separated from his lawyer wife and Munch who like, loves to commiserate with a divorced man is like, oh, if there's mud to throw, it'll be the ex-wife. Go talk to her. So she confirms Rick is not gay. I, not that I, I think a wife would always know that, but um, she says they separated because Rick couldn't commit to a career. He was a Wall Streeter when she met him. Then he said he found no joy in it. And then three years ago, he became a teacher. And then three weeks ago, he quit that. So I guess that's why they're separating because she just can't handle him making uh, a a career change. So now we're at the Millicent Fawcett School where the detectives are talking to the headmaster about, you know, the circumstances of Rick's firing or leaving the school or whatever. He says he left, he quit or whatever. But the school is like, is that what he told you? So you're getting a sense that that's not the truth. And then in walks Joanne Parsons, who is played by Jane Adams. I know we're recording this a little bit ahead of schedule. She was just nominated today as a guest appearance in Hacks. Yeah, I saw that, but it took me forever to put her. I just can't believe 
What a powerful actor. Such a small role to get nominated yeah. for. She's in like two scenes the whole series. Yeah. Where, I want a Meg Stalter nomination. Where's that? Yeah, really? Where's that? Yeah. Girly. They're not ready. They're not ready for Meg Let's yet. go to the club. They will be. I just like, <laughs> I don't know. So I caught, no, I'm not pitting um, actresses against each other. I hope they all win. My favorite line of Meg's is when she goes, coming up with ideas for emails. My job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I love this actress. This actress is so good. I first saw her in the movie happiness, which is like a extremely fucked up movie. I love her in hacks. She was in Atlanta. She had an amazing episode with, um, Donald Glover and she's just Wait, like one of these I great character from? actresses. I got to find out where I know her from. I'm sure you know her like her IMDb is extensive. I feel like she's just a very good actress. Um, she's the head of the upper school named Joanne Parsons. And she's, you know, she looks very like sort of startled by the whole, uh, um, police presence of it all and like talking about this teacher and the headmaster says the the circumstances of Sims's departure are confidential. Wait, she's in your favorite show. She's in Claws. What is she in Claws? She's Gladys Coleman Perrette. I don't know. <laughs> How many episodes does it say? Um, one, two, four. Huh. What's embarrassing is when I'm like, where do I know this person from? And it's like from SVU, you idiot. That's what, like, <laughs> that is why you're doing this. It's not from anything else. It is SVU. You don't recognize her from anything else? Orange County. She's in Orange County. That's my favorite movie. One of. We were just talking about She's, it. Skylar Fisk yeah. is in it. Yes. Mike White. You know, we were yes. just talking about it. Yes. Colin Hanks. We were just talking about it. I think she's just one of those people that, yeah, is like pops up in all kinds of like things because she's just sort of like, she's very good. She's very unassuming and very good, I think. So anyway, the headmaster is basically like, I can't talk to you about this. Lawyers, yada, yada. And Joanne has a face like, uh, uh, like she clearly wants to talk and no one's letting her talk. So they're walking out Amaro and Benson and they're like, oh, let's see if she's in any of these photos on the wall. And there's a photo of Joanne. Rick and Betty Gilpin, the actress. And then they go talk to her and she's playing a uh, teacher named Natalie Relais. I love Betty Gilpin. I um, loved her in Nurse Jackie. That's where I first saw her. Mm -hmm. And then my husband worked on a movie with her and said that she turned a part that was so small into like a really, really great part. He thinks she's like ridiculously talented. I'm a huge Betty Gilpin fan. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, we love Glow. I mean, I love Glow. Do you love Glow? Never seen Glow. Oh, I feel like you'd really like that. I would, but it's hard to commit sometimes. There's a lot. There's a lot out there. But uh, if you don't know by now, you got to Google her because we just gave you 20 of her credits. Um, and she's kind of, they're kind of playing her. But like, I'm kind of like surprised by her because when I saw her in Nurse Jackie, not that I thought one trick pony, but I'm like, okay, hot, beautiful, whatever, get it. And yeah. then with every role, she just like blows me away and does something different. And, you know, not just because she colors her hair sometimes, but like truly does so many different types of acting. And I like that. Well, and I also think the cool thing is that even in Nurse Jackie, where she's kind of like a full bitch, you do like her. Like there is something likable about her, even though she's like this very selfish bitch in that show. Yeah, like, you're I right. Know. I don't because when you said bitch, I'm like, she's not a bitch. She's but yeah, she's like a. I mean, she takes advantage. She's always like, can you do my shift? For yeah. Me? Like, you know, she's like spoiled and like, you know, um, 
from what I remember of Nurse Jackie, which I watched a while ago. So they kind of play her, the detectives. They play Betty Gilpin's character a little bit. They're like, um, yeah, we know about the thing that happened. And she's like, oh, so you know about the thing. And like, then she kind of gives them information, but they're just like bluffing her basically. And she's like, as soon as I found out what happened, I went to the administration. They said they would take care of it. So she's definitely like, she's like, I can't say anymore. I'll get fired. So they go back to Rick and they know some allegation has happened because now uh, Natalie has sort of let that out of the bag. Rick's like, I didn't do anything. I love being a teacher. He's really sticking by his story. He's like, three weeks ago, Joanne called me in and said someone had made an accusation. I have no idea who accused me or what the accusation was. But in this system, to be accused is to be guilty, which we've seen in many, many SVUs of like, a little kid makes an accusation and like it, we just, in dissonant voices, like he is accused and then his career is over, even though he's fully innocent. So, you know, it's, he's not wrong there. So Olivia starts to put together the theory that maybe the parent of the molested kid is the one who, um, you know, organized this uh, beating and framed it as a gay bash. Rollins goes through the directory, figures that Sims would have picked somebody who's a little bit of an outsider, not an Upper East Side, upper crust, uh, you know, kid. And so they narrow down the names and they find um, this kid from New Jersey. Finn and Rollins go check it out. And Rollins and Finn have kind of like a nice moment where they're checking in. I feel like this is the development of their friendship a little bit at the beginning. And, you know, she's checking in about how Alejandro's doing. And Finn, like, I see he's a good actor. Like, he really, like, seems like really... This guy he hasn't even ever met before. He's almost treating like a son of his who's in the hospital. Um, it's kind of nice. So they go out to Jersey. They talk to Ray Gabardelli at his produce distribution warehouse thing. Um, and he basically admits to it immediately. He's like, I did it and I do it again. Um, <laughs> my favorite. My That's my favorite. <laughs> I love that. I love a confident criminal. That's like, yeah, I'll do it 800 more times. That's maybe a dream. That's another dream part of SVU. I would love <laughs> to be you. someone that's just like, uh-huh. Yeah. And what? Did it. And I do it again. Um, and he's like, I didn't want my son to be humiliated in public. So I took care of it. Um, so they go talk to his son, whose name is Luca. Yes. This is an issue for me. There's no way a working class Jersey family is naming their boy Luca. <laughs> They're scared of him being a little gay. They're calling him Luca. That's... <laughs> It's very popular name in Italy. I don't know. Oh, it's an Italian name. Yeah. Okay. To me, it's like Hillary Duff's kid's name. You know, it's like a uh, Hollywood. Yes. There's Skylar, there's Pippin and there's Luca. The newest Pixar movie is called Luca, but oh, it's set in Italy. Oh, okay. Cause to me, do you remember the present you bought for Rosie? <laughs> yeah. But they're spelled different in my brain. I understand everything now. It's Italian. I, I, I rest my case. I am wrong. Okay. For me, I was just like, <laughs> I thought it was just such a hipster name that I'm like, there's no fucking way his name is Luca, but now I get it. But you're right. But you're right, though. This episode is from like, what, 2013 or something. And I think, oh, no, it's from 2012, this episode. And I think that's pre the name Luca really having like the hipster moment that it's been having. Yeah. So it's an Italian right? name. Yes. Oh, and I just saw Gabardelli and I thought Giardelli. I'm like the chocolate company. They should. Why is he doing <laughs> manual labor? <laughs> he's the heir to the Giardelli uh, chocolate fortune, but he's just randomly selling vegetables. Ugh, I just um, want to be an heiress. Okay. That would be great. But you recognize this kid who plays Luca? Did you ever watch 13 Reasons Why? Absolutely not. Okay. He's a major character in 13 Reasons Why. And I've seen him in a couple of other little things, but that's, I think, his big thing. I stopped watching that show because I literally hated it so much. It made high school look like a full nightmare all the time. Um, he 
asks for his mom to leave so he can like talk to the cops about like what happened to him. And he says, um, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Like I'm over it. He's gone from the school. That's all I cared about. Uh, and then he, they make him tell a story and he's like a month ago, Mr. Sims made me stay after class about my grades. He said, he'd look out for me if I looked out for him. And then we kind of get the impression just from that little exchange that that's enough. Like his story is enough. So they go, they cut to Sims getting arrested at the precinct. He's like, absolutely not. I did not molest Luca. And um, Olivia is going in pretty hard on him, especially with the stigma around being gay. She's like, kids do not make this kind of stuff up, you know, like so. And Sims is like, I'm sticking to his story. He's like, I'm not gay. I'm not a pedophile. Like and then at that moment, his wife sends an attorney in and she's like, we'll settle it in the divorce, which is oof, tough. And like they're kind of talking about it behind the glass. Like this guy has no record, no priors. He seems genuinely blindsided and Cabot's like, go back to the school, vet the details of Luca's story. So they all go to the school. We find out that Luca disclosed to Natalie. She said she was teaching a lesson about human sexuality and that Luca got all red and started tearing up and that she later asked him about it. He confessed that Mr. Sims had unzipped his pants and asked Luca to put his hands on his penis. When Luca said, uh, no, he started touching himself. And then we're getting the story from Joanne and she's just like drinking tea out of like a very dainty little cup, which I think is like part of her character. That's like just a funny little detail to me, like that. She's just like sort of like nervously drinking out of a teacup. And her story is like a little bit different. It's that like he put his hands on Luca's penis or something like that. Like basically everyone's telling the story with like a slight difference. And Joanne says that she's been concerned about Luca for a while and has had several conferences with him. So Amara and Benson go back to Luca to ask him to repeat his story. And he's definitely stumbling on details a little bit. And Amaro's like ramping up the questioning. He's like, so did he pull his pants down or did he put his dick through the zipper? Was he erect? Was he circumcised? Like, what's the story? And it kind of like reminds me of a joke I do where like I was um, jerked off to when I was in eighth grade walking in my neighborhood. And the police asked me, was he erect? And I was like, is that going to be how you find him? Like, are you going to put on an APB for a guy with a huge boner? Like, I don't understand why that's important. But I guess in this situation, it is important to trip up a kid that you think is lying about being molested. So Amaro is like badgering him a little bit. And I feel like if he talked to a female victim like this, Benson would have shot him in the face, but she kind of lets him go. Cause she knows also that Luca's lying. Um, Finn and Rollins now are having another moment about Finn's son. And he's like, my, my son's had it so rough being black, being gay. And she's like, you never had a problem with Ken being gay. And he's like, no. And she's like, never. And he's like, he goes, okay, I had to address it. I don't really know what this response means, but he said, mostly I'm just scared. What keeps me up at night is that I work in SVU and I've always been scared of like these bad things happening to my son. So Finn's acting like he's never had a problem with his son being gay, but you just watched a bunch of episodes with him. And is that true? Um, He was just an absent father. So like the gay thing is like, I think it seems like Ice was more hurt that Ken didn't come to him to talk about it. But Ken's like, you were never in my life. Like, why well, right. don't even know who you are? Why would I ever talk to you? Um, and so that's kind of the case where like with this episode with Munch and then like Ken has a close relationship with Benson. Like he has r close relationships with people around his father. But not, yeah. No, it, it took a while for them to get tight. Like, he would help with case. Anytime there was a gay case, Ice is showing up, you know? <laughs> I need your gay help. So now the detectives are 
shooting the shit about Luca with their checking their theories against each other and everything. And they're like, wait a sec. Like if this all happened with him getting molested a month ago, that's one thing, but his grades have been slipping for a lot longer for like months. Um, and then at that moment, Luca and his mom show up at the precinct. And that, this is where we find out Luca is fully pivoting his story and saying that the person who really molested him is Joanne, the very delicate head of the upper school played by played by Jane Adams. He says that Joanne made him have sex with her in her office and also in her home. And he describes her room in her home saying she has a four poster bed, embroidered pillows and a book of poetry on her nightstand called the Pearl. And he also happens to remember that she has a birthmark on her inner thigh shaped like a question mark, which is a while. That's wild. Yes. So now they, the cops bust into Joanne's house with a warrant there. She's like, what? Why do you have to come in? What's happening? Like she's very breathless and like nervous, this woman. And they're like, her house is kind of amazing in New York. It's in Brooklyn. It's like, I don't know, a huge, like, it doesn't even seem like a brownstone. It feels like a freestanding, maybe one of those Greenpoint houses or something. It's like multiple floors, lots of woodwork. She's got a huge hot pink bedroom and everything in her bedroom is as Luca described it, the bed, the pillows, the book, it's all there. And then we get a scene of Joanne in the precinct with her leg up on a chair and Olivia is taking photos of her inner thigh and is like, can you inch your skirt up a little bit? And I feel like a lot of our viewers are probably that like, was a really uh, crazy scene for NBC. She's like fully spread eagle. Yeah. And I've, I've never seen Benson ever take a photo of like injuries or any, or, or of anything before. So it's just kind yeah, of like, like someone called in sick. So she had to do it. She's like, I'll take the pictures. And then in the next scene, she's holding the camera. Um, so the next scene, she's interrogating Joanne. And she's like, Luca's lying. Um, she starts to get overwhelmed while she's defending herself. And then she fully keels over and faints. So it's very Jane Austen. At the top of Act 4, Joanne Parsons is out on bail. Her rich aunt, who apparently gave her this big house in Brooklyn, uh, has gotten her out on bail. And Cabot's like, Luca's already lied. I'm going to need more than just his testimony if I'm going to keep going with this uh, case. Rollins reveals that Joanne did switch schools three years ago from Linden Forest Academy. So they go there to check it out. And who is the headmaster? None other than Snoop Dogg's best friend, Martha Stewart. And I love this. I remember when this came on, when I watched this episode live, I was like, I love Martha Stewart trying to act. I mean, she's basically playing herself which is funny. Like she's just like a proper woman who memorized her lines. You know, what did you think of Martha's work? I was excited to see her. Yeah. And she gives us a lot of great insight about Joanne. She's like, Joanne never left for anything sketchy. She didn't molest anybody. She's just very emotionally vulnerable. She had a nervous breakdown when a fellow teacher got married. And like Rollins is like, eyes are like, okay, red flags. Like this woman is a lesbian. But of course, Martha Stewart's from that like older generation where it's like, she was very sad that her friend was unavailable to her now because of getting married. And it's like, yeah, Marth, that's not what's happening. Like she is in love with this woman. And uh, Martha says, Joanne belongs in another era. This one is just too harsh for her. And I always remember this line that she says, because I feel like I've met people like this. I've met people where I'm like, you belong in like a different time. You know what I mean? Like I was a page with a girl where I was like, you just feel like you're not from today. You feel like you're from another time where like you need to lie on a fainting couch and like, you know, 
entertain guests in the parlor. Girl, do you know this? What? Off topic, but in my head, it all tied together while you were talking. So, because I was thinking who belongs in a different era. Do you remember in the Hills, there was like a girl that came from New York that worked at, that was another intern from Vogue who was like killing it and made Whitney and Elsie feel insecure about herself. Yeah she, knew, yeah. she knew the names of every flower and seating arrangements and was so professional. What was her name? It doesn't matter. She's the creator of Glossier. Whoa. Yeah. So maybe she belongs wow. in this era. But when she knew the names <laughs> of all the flowers, that's what, like when you said yeah. people who belong in a different time, I'm like, maybe this home ec girl. But yeah, she is. I learned that she created Glossier. Wow. Not that impressive. Okay, I, she's a rich kid. Her parents are, her, she's like a hedge sure, fund they, girl. But see, Glossier right. packaging is nice. That's true. The products I could give or take, but the packaging is beautiful. Interesting. I've only used a couple things. Oh, also, I was at a party and someone was using Thrive lip gloss and I went, oh, my God, do you have a podcast? I have the same lip gloss. And they go, we found this on the floor. It must be yours. And it was mine. But they were using it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a podcast? (laughs) I think you should ask that to everybody you see wearing a Harper Wild bra. Like, oh, my God, do you have a podcast? (laughs) Um, But also in the era of COVID, who's picking up a loose lip gloss at a party and putting it on their mouths? They were putting it on? Yeah, a group of three girls were like, this girl mine was like, yeah, we've all been putting this on. I go, with a lip gloss you found? I mean, I took it. It's in my purse. I'm using it. But I just think it's like wild they all used it. My mouth is on the floor (laughs) right now. I think I missed that detail when you first said it. What? (laughs) Yeah. Fuck. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> that really threw you through for it. That really threw me. I cannot believe that away. <laughs> anybody is picking up lip gloss off the floor and fucking using it. It's like a wand. I mean, but it's then like, I put it oh in my, my purse. But, but when we went, went to like walk around the party again, it fell out of my purse again. And they're like, keep your thrive in the bag. And um, <laughs> <sighs> wow, Lisa, you're what if you were just at that party, just letting girls use it and being like the code, the promo code is SVU. <laughs> like trying to get trying to man on the street get us more advertising dollars um so rollins and benson leave that school basically okay joanne is into women so what's going on like why wouldn't she have just said i'm a lesbian like why would i touch a a young boy or whatever and um olivia gets a text at that moment and we find out that two hours ago joanne tried to take her own life by filling her pockets with rocks and walking into prospect park lake which is how virginia wolf tried to or did kill herself and munch calls it out and is like oh <laughs> who is she virginia wolf so like very much uh connected to the well, of another era and they could time like they couldn't let anyone else say the line you know what i mean they were like well no yeah. one else, uh, rollins isn't reading you know like yeah <laughs> Munch is the only one who would know that. And that's no shade to Rollins. I'm not, a, you know, I'm not. A I don't think she's an English major. Yeah. 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 So Munch tells Olivia, here's a hint from somebody also from another era. Bring her some flowers or a sachet of lavender when you meet her. So interesting. And they go and now we're at the hospital and Olivia does bring her a bouquet of lilies and she's fully delighted. And I mean, I feel like she's every romantic lesbian's dream is to have Olivia Benson bring them lilies to their mental hospital. Right. Like that's a lovely gesture. She still denies doing anything to Luca. And she's like, it's not what you think. We're dear friends. And Benson kind of just jumps on the Natalie thing immediately. Did you notice this? Like, I kind of noticed that there was no 
She never really mentioned her at all. And then she was just like, you and Natalie. And she was like, yes. And it was just a jump, I thought. Um, But Benson gets her to spill all the tea about her friendship with Natalie, saying they love the same things. They visited botanical gardens, blah, blah, blah. They are were so content with one another. Why did the friendship end? And she's like, because of Luca. He's a manipulator and a liar. She saw them together at the school in the rare book archive. Do you remember the rare book archive at your high school, Lisa? <laughs> no. I, re- I remember the rare book archive at my high school so fondly. <laughs> like these upper these these Upper East Side schools are hilarious. Also, it's like this motherfucking Luca ruining adult after adult after adults lives yeah with f- lies crazy pair i mean come on i mean no he's the victim he's the victim. but he's the victim it's tough he's the victim but I, it's i hate yes. him yeah no you do think he's like because he, he is kind of just like finding random people to pin things like on and, and the guy tony hale got the shit beat out not only fired uh, all these accusations but beaten up, physical harm, you know, this woman's getting arrested, having to show her cooch to Benson for a photo shoot. And then, um, you know, it's I, it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. No, for she's in a mental institution right now. I mean, it's not going great for anybody that's been in contact with this kid. Um, anyway, she basically is like she saw Luca and Natalie doing it basically in the rare book archive. And she's like, she looks so sad. She promised she would stop, but she didn't. So it's like obviously her feelings for this woman are clouding her judgment because she didn't go right to the authorities. Um, the next week, right after she discovered them, she is brought into the headmaster's office and that's when they accused Rick Sims. And she's like, Luca's clever. He came up with this cover story. So she is so blinded by her crush on Natalie that she can only think that Luca's the mastermind behind all this when like, clearly he's not. And she couldn't tell them it was Natalie because it would have destroyed her. She cares so much about Natalie and how this all affects her. She's not really thinking of the kid in the situation. So now Natalie's at the precinct with a lawyer. She's denying it all, saying she feels sorry for Joanne. Joanne's obsessed with her. And she's really putting on a show. It's very kind of easy to see that she's lying. But they can't charge her right now. But they will tell Luca's family and the school what's going on. So then in the next scene, Finn is... Do, sorry, did you want to say something? No, I just know what's going to happen. I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed. <laughs> So in the next scene, Finn is rushing to the hospital because Alejandro had emergency surgery and is now in a coma. And when he gets there, he finds out Ken can't go in the room because as a courtesy, he called Alejandro's homophobic dad who came and then flipped out when he saw them holding hands, declared himself next of Ken and got Ken kicked out. Actually, this Um, is so um, I wish I remember the exact uh, wording because Pat Regan is so funny, but I listened to his podcast with Kat Cohen and he was saying like gay rights is just being able to like get into the hospital room. Like it's so sad. It's like such minimal thing where it's like the goal is just to be able to like go into the hospital room with someone you love. Like it's so fucked up. There are people committed to making sure people cannot be in a hospital room with your loved one. But he said it really funny, but uh, the sentiment is important. Yes. No, that's what I say to people about my brother and his fiance. I'm just like, so you don't think they should be able to be in the same room together? Like if anyone is against gay marriage, I'm like, you don't think that he should be able to go visit him in the hospital or have access to any of his assets when he passes away after a 40 year relationship? And what do they say? They say, oh, well, of course I want them to have those rights, but they think all those rights should just be folded into civil unions. It's crazy. Anyway. I'm dealing with ill people. Um, 
Finn wants to talk to Alejandro's dad. He's like, where's the dad? I want to talk to him. Unfortunately, we never see this conversation and I would have loved to have seen it. I really would have loved to see Finn and Alejandro's dad, man to man, having a conversation where it's like, look, our sons are in love. What are you going to do about it? But we don't see it. We find out that Luca's dad is like, doesn't, he's not really remorseful about having the guy beat up and he's pretty like happy that his son is banging a hot teacher. Like it's a very different sentiment than that's why I sighed earlier. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very different high five sentiment when your son, when a female teacher has a relationship or assaults, excuse me, a teenage boy than the other way around. Well, yeah. Cause I feel so often when, you know, my nights at comedy clubs, like arguing about rape, fun pastime, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> it's always like, well, men get abused. Too. What about boy? And I go, yeah. And usually I have to convince men it's a problem. I go usually like the guys that try to bring up that men are also abused are also the same men that are like, hell yeah. this teen fucked a hot teacher you know it's like you guys are actually not the ones taking it seriously and you're the ones who say it's different and you're only throwing it in my face because of you you know you want to prove something but it is interesting where i'm like no i usually feel like i'm the one convincing people it is still a crime you know yes yeah Okay, so now a huge twist happens where Luca Munch gets a call that Luca's gone off the deep end, locked himself in the biology lab with Natalie as his hostage. Oh, my God. Okay, so now in the next scene, we're close up on Luca and Amaro is just trying to talk him down. And he's just like, she did this to you. She's the perpetrator. Hey, Luca's like, I bought us train tickets for, to go to Montreal. I told her I could speak French. I said we could get a place there. She said no. She said we had to stop and not tell anyone. So then as the camera like moves out, we see that he's holding a scalpel in his own hand and he's covered in blood. And then we spin around and we kind of see that Natalie is lying dead on the floor in a pool of blood. Like that is really really a twist like you kind of think you're gonna just see her like huddled under a table like please don't hurt me but like he's fully already killed her and with a scalpel like he must have seriously nicked an artery in order for her to be lying in a pool of blood like that with a scalpel such a small little weapon very brutal and great camera work i just looked up the director because i was like that's pretty interesting we have not seen that on svu and he actually is he's a camera operator so he's been a camera operator for tons and tons of stuff. And for SVU, 93 episodes, camera operator. And they let him direct an episode. More than one. He directed six episodes. Moving up. Wow. Um, so he has like two directing credits, SVU and Criminal Intent. And then um, he's done some cinematography, but he's a camera operator. So that's really cool. Yeah, I wonder if that happens a lot. If camera operators move up to director, if that's like a thing that happens in the business. Or if that's even I didn't realize that was even the plan at hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if someone's a production assistant, maybe they want to produce later. Yeah. Or if you're, I don't know. I don't know. Too many jobs. Yeah. That's why I'm saying, that's why I'm wondering. I'm wondering if that's like a jump that gets made a lot. I'm thinking of the cameramen at Drag Race that have been cameramen there forever. I don't think that they're ever going to like do directing, but maybe they want to. Who knows? Yeah. A nice union job. But yeah. So I just, you know, as a camera operator, maybe that gave him extra tidbits of directing, knowing how to totally. do that voice thing. But then this is very interesting. Luca goes basically in response to the whole plan about them running away together. She laughed. Why would she laugh? And that reminds me of that 
famous saying, men are scared that women are going to laugh at them. Women are scared that men are going to kill them. So obviously being laughed at by a woman set this kid off, but also she had been molesting him. So there was a lot of emotional stuff going on there. Um, she told Luca she was getting married in June. I want to meet her fiance. Who's this fool? Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I loved her. I really loved her. And then Amaro gets close enough where he can get the knife from him, from Luca. And then the final scene is Finn at Alejandro's bedside and Alejandro's still unconscious and Finn's just talking to him and he's just letting him know like the guys who did this are booked for federal hate crimes. They're never getting out. And since you're going to be my son-in-law, I just want to say, I'm sorry we didn't get to meet before this. And it's just like a sweet moment with Ice-T and his future son-in-law. And then Dick Wolf. This episode is really twisty. Yeah. Star-studded, twisty, multi-victim, multi-perpetrator. Lots of stuff. Because Luca, it's like your parents are bad parents and now you're going to jail for life. So have fun. Have fun in prison, not jail. Prison. I've prison. I'll finally remember that. Yeah, I remember when I find that found that out. I was also shocked. <laughs> I did not know there was a difference between the two. Um, and Betty Gilpin, that's a bingo SVU moment, laying in a pile of your own blood. Bingo. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm uh, interested to no, hear. No, you're not. What it's terrible. Is... Oh, oh God. God, is it really bad? Yeah. Okay. Well, if anyone's going to tell me about it, I'm happy that it's you. <laughs> Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s like lavish estates and gardens and of course little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough you can make it into the detective club and there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. So this crime happened in New York City. So I'm assuming, Kara, you remember. I know. You, you remember it. No, I don't. Really? I was going to tell you, this is one of my only ones where I'm like, I don't know about this one. Okay. I'm shocked. Shocked. I know. So uh, it sucks. Like, they, it's, I don't like it. Um, it'd be weird if I loved a crime. If you were like, this crime is really tickling me. Yeah. Can we just have a bank robbery one time? JK, it's SVU. (laughs) Okay. So basically there's nine attackers. 
in this story. They range in age from 16 to 23, and they're all part of a gang that's called the Latin King Goonies. Okay, so these are the Goonies. Okay, wait, so do you know what is the difference between this and the Latin Kings, the regular Latin Kings and the Latin Kings? You would be an amazing investigative reporter. Did not even cross my mind. <laughs> I just I took I took it at face value and went, all right, a subsect of the Latin Kings. Maybe it's West Coast and then this is the East Coast contingent or Bronx and Brooklyn. Maybe there's I have no idea, but I'm I feel sure like Hannah's looking it up. Hannah will figure <laughs> it out. There's one article here that says the Latin King Goonies aspired to join the real Latin Kings. But honestly, I'm not 100 percent sure of the difference. OK, so. Um, and they all, this attack happened in a home uh, in the Bronx that was vacant for a while. So this group of guys moved in there as squatters and they hosted loud parties. And weirdly, the, the house was across the street from a public school. I don't know how they got, <laughs> how that happened. Um, and they called it the Goonie house. The neighbors called it the Goonie house in the neighborhood. And there were a dozen pit bulls guarding the place yikes which i like but you know i love pit bulls i love pit bulls i just think if you have a dozen pit bulls you're nothing good is going on yeah yeah you have one or two rescues i love you yeah just breeding i love when uh (laughs) cardi visits her pit bulls and she's just like in a head-to-toe gown and there's all these dogs it's yeah So one weekend in October of 2010, they attacked one 30-year-old man and two teenagers. So one of the teens knew the 30-year-old man and wanted to join the gang, and another was just a loose teen. So they grabbed the first teen on Sunday at 3.30 in the morning um, and took the teen to the house, slammed him into a wall. They beat him, stripped him naked, slashed him with a box cutter, hit him on the head with a can of beer, and sodomized him with a wooden handle of a plunger. This went on for hours. It sucked. So then the gang members just let him loose and told him to keep quiet or they would hurt his friends and family. And since he, you know, they knew each other from the neighborhood, he took that very seriously. Um, So the teen walked himself to a nearby hospital and said he was just jumped by a bunch of strangers and robbed and didn't give more details. So 8.30 p.m. Sunday, the members grabbed a second 17-year-old boy, uh, beating him and asking about his 30-year-old friend. Um, And the teen admitted that he had had sex with the 30-year-old man. They took his jewelry and held him. And during this time that they're holding the teen, they found the 30-year-old and they invited him to a party. They're like, come over, we're having a party. And the 30-year-old was like, sweet, I'll come party with you guys. When he arrived for the party, I was not a party. Um, so he shows up at Osborne Place in Morris Heights in the Bronx to this um, to the Goonie house. And he brought to the party 10 tall cans of four loco with him. Obviously, we know what's going to happen is not funny. Nothing is funny about this. But this part is funny. And I just <laughs> four loco. He's ready to party with 10 tall he boys. He was ready for 10 <laughs> tall boys, baby. Um, and the. Witnesses say he cleaned out the store of its entire stock of Four Loco. So <laughs> I think I bet you went into a, like a bodega and just like, you know, and um, went out to have a good fucking time. And unfortunately, he got to this house. They forced him to strip to his underwear and tied him to a chair. 
They made him drink all of the cans, <gasps> which are 10 to 12 percent alcohol. So. Oh, my God. Fucked up. Um, they sodomized him with a small bat. They burned him with cigarettes. They whipped him with a chain. Jeez. And he, this was because he was gay. And then they made the second teen attack the 30-year-old. And so while the teen was attacking the 30-year-old, they all, like, shouted gay slurs at them um, while the teen hit him in the face and burned him with cigarettes. And then they made, oh, yeah, and then yeah, they yeah. made them have sex. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's just bad. Ugh. While the man was held captive, five of the Latin King Goonies went to the man's house to rob him. And he shared that house with his 40 year old brother. Um, they used a key. They took the key off the 30 year old to get into his house. Um, and they found the brother, the 40 year old in bed. They pulled a blanket over his head and hit him demanding money. And he refused to comply with them. So basically they put a cell phone to his ear. And on the other hand, he heard his younger brother's voice being like, give them fucking money. <laughs> like, what are you? I also just can't imagine any, any part of my being, if five people came into my home in the middle of the night beating me asking for money that I would go nah yeah I'm keeping this money like I don't <laughs> I, I take it you know I just I don't yeah. understand why it's one against five fine one guy you're gonna fight him five against one it's fucked up and that's like kind of the vibe of this whole crime you know it, it was nine against one nine against two these are cowards these are it's a gang attack right. these are like a group of people beating the shit out of someone I can't fight back in any fucking way this is really disgusting behavior I do think about what people would take if they came to my house. And I'm like, there's not that much. I mean, maybe our laptops. I don't have, I, I never have cash. I just don't have much. Well, you have a lot of technology, TVs. They would take your TVs, yeah. laptops. Yeah. They would maybe go to the garage if they had an inside scoop. Please, I don't talk about the treasures in my garage. Um, <laughs> I have um, some of Lisa's clothes in my garage. Those are up for grabs. Yeah. If you live in L.A. and you want some clothes, I have it. <laughs> well, Kara has them. Um, but yeah. I can't imagine fighting, but they didn't need much. That's the, that's the weird thing. Like one of my old friends, she got pistol whipped in Lincoln Park in Chicago and beaten the shit out of. They broke her jaw, all of it. Um, it was like a brutal attack. And they went to McDonald's. They like took her debit. Like the first yeah. charge was McDonald's. Like they ruined this girl's life, her whole jaw. She still like, you know, has gaps in her teeth um, for McDonald's. Wow. So some these cry it's it, the robberies are weird when they're not like yeah. I understand you want to steal a Picasso, some diamonds, right? A Kardashian necklace. That I understand, but um beating the shit or yeah, I mean like I understand like if you're stealing to feed your family or something, but if you're just like teens going to McDonald's, it's like kind of not the same situation. Yeah. Um so the brother finally gave in and gave them $1,000 in cash, two debit cards, and a 52-inch television. Um, but then things get kind of strange with this brother. He handles everything after this poorly. And I know I always say we can't expect people to act normal when abnormal things happen to them. But it's weird. So, like, they tied him up and everything. And then, so the brother freed himself three hours later and called the cops, but didn't mention that his brother was being held captive. 
Like, I wonder if he was also scared of the gang activity. Like, I don't because that's what's happening with uh, the dispenser in our neighborhood. The person that was killed was in a gang. And so now the gang is trying to kill the security guard. Like, you know, the place keeps getting tagged. They have to be on full surveillance and like the gang is not going to let it go, even though their gang members started the problems. So I was talking to someone else in our neighborhood and I was like, our neighborhood has to rally behind our fucking dispensary and our people like we all fucking frequent it. And he goes, I think people are scared because there's gang activity like you're going to be fighting for this place. But like you are you do you really want to get involved in gang stuff? Wow. But yeah, they keep getting tagged and it's, it's scary. But like there's more bulletproof glass than ever before. It is scarier. Yeah. So I, that's the only thing I can think of why this brother would only mention the robbery. So Monday morning, they go to the house to investigate and they saw the 30 year old man passed out on the landing from alcohol he consumed. But the cops had no reason to believe he had been a victim of a crime. So they didn't question him or anything. They just let him be drunk on the stoop. Yeah. But it's like, he was clearly burned and probably had markings of an attack. Like yeah. they beat him for a while, tied him to chair. Like I, I don't understand this. The cops then got extra confused because they didn't understand how the robbers entered the home without using force. So then um, the 30 year old said that he had been picked up in a van by strangers and forced to give his keys and address to someone. Um, He told the cops he was robbed near 1910 Osborne and cops tried to get a warrant but didn't have um, enough cause to get the warrant. Then. Late on Tuesday, the second teenager walked into the Bronx police station and gave a version of what happened. Um, And none of the three men in their first interviews with police told the whole truth, not one of them. And so that kind of plays into the episode a little bit of like, why don't you want to let people know you're gay and what neighborhood you're in and all of that. And I think there's a reason we don't know any of these victims names as well. It's all by age. Um, I don't think Mm -hmm. they wanted to release any of this information. Which is sad, Um, but everyone is uh, allowed to have privacy. Um, But once the second teen gave the same address, they were able to get a search warrant. So they go Wednesday morning. Um, The officers enter the house and were surprised to see it was immaculate. Fresh coats of paint, the smell of bleach. They covered everything up, bleach everywhere, down the drain, like bleached the fuck out. They said it was one of the most clean crime scenes they had ever seen. Rugs were ripped out. Linoleum was ripped out. Like they fucking went at this house. But the detectives were able to scrape some evidence. Um, They got some pubic hairs and empty liquor cans. But it seems like, how did you leave the cans? Pubes, I get secret. You know, hair is hard, but yeah. Why would you leave those pubes? Are are basically invisible. But the most crucial clue for police in this case happened Wednesday when a note was slipped to a police officer by someone outside the crime scene. And this is always my favorite because it's not even like good police work or detective work or when you watch forensic files, this happens a lot where it's like a case is dead. And then eight years later, someone is like, I have information. And then that's how it's solved. Um, It's very rarely the cops. JK, I don't know. But someone gave them a piece of paper. The note had a phone number on it. And the detective called and um, was given the name of the man who is believed to be the leader of the group of nine. Ildefonso Mendez. By Wednesday night, all three victims had given full accounts 
So for the next 36 hours, um, the officers worked with the hate crimes task force, the gang division and the special victim squad. And they all worked together to get the list of nine suspects. And then the arrests began Thursday. So this was pretty quick. You know, if it happens Saturday wow, night, yeah. Sunday morning um, and by yeah. Thursday already full arrests. But I wonder what would have happened if the guy didn't slip the paper, you know. Right. And then what I find interesting in a lot of the crimes that we discuss is when the mothers are always like, my son could never do this. And they'd like defend their sons. And this happens. So one of the suspects mothers told ABC New York station WABC TV. So I'm assuming a local news affiliate of ABC um, uh, in quotes. She was like, I, this cannot be my son. He could not be involved in such a heinous crime. And it's like he is. Uh, but yeah. I just found that interesting that like a common thread is this. Um, so seven suspects were arrested right away. One suspect confessed. They were initially charged with hate crimes, but the prosecutors couldn't pursue it as a hate crime because the victims didn't want to testify at a trial. And the gang members obviously were not willing to plead to the hate crime. So that had to die. Wow. The victims were down with the punishments. They wanted to find a way to adequately punish individuals, but also avoid testifying. So the victims were fine with this. They did not want to testify. The leader of the street gang, Adelfonso Mendez, uh, got 14 years. He pleaded guilty and said he took full responsibility for everything that happened. So I'm sure he's like popular in jail since he is like a no snitch gang guy. And then the rest of the guys, the, like the charges were all mixed bags, some burglary, some robbery, some attempted gang assault, stuff like that. So that's what the charges were. Um, and the shortest sentence was two to six years. And like I said, the leader got 14 years. So everyone's in, in between there, some four years, some, you know, 13 years. I think you guys all know what in between means. Um, yeah. And so they went to prison. Some are, you know, there's a lot of local news stuff of like this person tried to get out on bail. This person's getting released. This person's that this person had a hearing. Um, but yeah, that's that. Damn. And now we have a guest that um, is a regular. So I think you guys are in for a treat. <laughs> Okay, our guest today, we're so excited to talk to him. You've seen him on The Wire, One Tree Hill, CSI Miami, but you've been seeing him for decades regularly on SVU as Finn's son, Ken Randall, played by actor Ernest Waddell. Here's our chat with Ernest. Perfect. Hi, Ernest. I'm Lisa. Hi, Ernest. I'm Kara. Hi. I mean, you've been on SVU for so long, but your first episode, you were not Finn's son. You were not Ken. You were a man named Terrell. Yes. So how did it like come about that you came back as Ken? Did you audition? Did they ask you? And how did you feel? I was, um, when I played Terrell, I was literally like in an opening of an SVU episode, like playing basketball. Like, I don't even know if you could make out my face. It was just a quick scene you know, playing basketball. But after that, I just auditioned. I just went in um, for Finn's son and I booked it. And that was that. I mean, it was, it was, it was your typical, you know, acting job. I don't know if it's typical being Ice-T's son. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that's like, true. it's this that's part true. that's like been sort of recurring over the past, like 50, like for the space of 15 years or something. Right. We've seen you grow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A long time, <laughs> many changes. That's one of the cool things that's, that's, that's been cool about coming back to the show is just throughout the years, I get to see the, the different ways people make television, you know, all the little changes, you know, companies buy up different companies and there's just been so many changes over 15 years, but it's pretty awesome. Anything noticeable, like on the set, like from your first episodes in like the early two thousands to like now and more recent years. I mean, so many things. I mean, when I first started, they were shooting on film and I, oh. you know, I remember specifically like this one time getting in trouble because they said, Oh, you know, if you, if you need another take, just go ahead and take it. Just let me know. And I, I asked for a couple takes and they were like, Ooh, these are costing, <laughs> you know, 10, 15 grand a take. Let's, let's pick it up. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, and then we've talked to Neil bear, ah. um, a couple times and we do love him a lot. Awesome. He knows everything. And he was telling us about how we created your character and the purpose and all that. Did you guys chat about that? Were you, we chatted a little bit. He probably told you more than he told me. Oh, Neil was just saying that he gave Finn like a gay son to help him grow as a person and become better and more open-minded. Yeah. And you were like the vehicle to make Finn a better person. Yeah. So I was wondering if you knew, like you got, you knew that up or maybe not, or was that just Neil gossip? I got that impression from the role and, you know, I see he gives off that kind of, you know, the swag. So this was a mm -hmm. different shade of him. And it was cool because I felt that from ice, like every time I would come in, just like, I think he was very aware that, okay, it's time for me to like give a different side of myself. And so, right. Like not just Mr. Tough guy all the time. Like this is a full, the softer side of Finn, the softer side of Finn. And Ken is an incredible person. Like we, uh, we like jam packed, watched all of your episodes oh, prep. and he's like helping dig up a body. He's helping me. <laughs> he's yes. like, he's a social worker. He's helping this kid, uh, like work with his issue. Like, such a good person. Was that always the plan to make you an angel on the planet? I, I Hey, I, I get the <laughs> scripts and. But it's great. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm going to fight crime next, right? <laughs> well, speaking of, since you have been on for so long, do you have a favorite DA or defense attorney where if this was the real world and you needed a lawyer, who would you be hiring? <laughs> Probably Barba. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> just because I, th you know, like I, I got to sit and watch some of his scenes and I was just, I just thought, oh, this guy's a brilliant actor. I just, you know, I think I just like to work with him really. Our listeners want to have sex with him pretty intensely. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> there is number one. Um, how was it working with our favorite, probably our favorite guest star, Ludacris? Ludacris. Ludacris is, is fun. He's, you know, it's just fun to be around rappers. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just bigger than life personality. That is a rule. That is a definite rule to life. It is just fun <laughs> to be around rappers. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Does he does he come to set with a rapper? Like, what is the rapper energy? That's fun. Is he getting high on set or? Uh, no, no, no. Uh, just uh, <laughs> you know, just supreme confidence. I just remember saying, "Oh, you know, where do you live?" Or I was just trying to chat him up, make conversation, and he was like, "Right now, I kind of live everywhere." Uh, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so you know, 
Um, I'm a citizen of the world. He's a citizen of the world. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Ice kind of has that too. But like, I love just coming in and just listening to Ice's stories. He's got a story about everything. I mean, he's lived such a such a long life, you know, such a crazy life. Have you gotten to know Coco at all or baby, uh, baby Chanel, who is obsessed <laughs> I've met, with? <laughs> I've met them. I haven't talked to them too much, but I've had a couple conversations with Coco. Yeah. But cause I think technically, um, Chanel's like your half sister. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and looks just that's... like ice. I've been oh seeing all these memes, the memes. Yes, of like ice She's blowing up right now. Chanel. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite episode you did? I really, I, I love the one where I'm, you know, digging up the body and I'm arguing with Chris Maloney and he's kind of like interrogating me. That was a lot of fun. I mean, all of them are fun. I think, um, you know, once I branched out of the, uh, they had me in a suede jacket for years. Once I branched <laughs> out of that, you know, I uh... <laughs> Well, no, that's so interesting you brought up the jacket because I've recently noticed SVU loves to put people in three layers. Yes. Like it's always, and you wore three layers a lot. Is there a secret or is that just like real? Like, did you talk about the wardrobe where every time you had to put on three shirts? No, I think that they just, okay. <laughs> I, I think they just had a, had an idea of what Ken was supposed to, to look like, feel like, you know, the, the affect of, of his, his persona. I don't know if that's how you say it, but he, uh, you know, Ken is very endearing. I think all the clothes they wanted to put me in were very endearing. You know, um, there was a little element of like, maybe that suede, you know, I, maybe because ice was in leather jackets, they put me in a, I don't know. But. Yeah. That's a good, that's a, that's inter interesting observation. Yeah. Cause like softer versus hard. Interesting. How was the uh, most recent episode you were on this past season? Weren't you there for Finn's non-wedding? Yes, I loved it. It was great. Um, you know, I got to work with Jennifer Esposito. That was cool. Yeah. Um, got to come back. The whole cast was there. So it was a lot of fun. It was the end of the season. So it was, I think everybody was just in a great mood and, you know, it was just kind of like a, like an end of the school year sort of vibe. So yeah, it was just a good time. Also such a tough season with COVID and everything. Yes. I'm sure that they were like happy that they made it through and yes. like, you know, lots of tests, you know, test right before you shoot test three days, you know, test before the, so yeah, it was, it was pretty intense, but everybody was pretty chill. It was, it was a, it was a nice time for sure. And then we noticed that you write, produce, direct, like a lot of your own projects and act. And so was there anything you've learned with your years on SVU on such a like big, long lasting show that you've taken to your own projects and your own process? Absolutely. Um, just how to move quick. I think that that's one of the things that SVU really shines at is un like they know that process so well, you know, and the timing of it. OK, we're going to rehearse. OK, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. OK, we're going to shoot. You guys come back in five minutes. Like it's so, you know, lockstep that I learned a ton. That was fun. He was he's such a nice guy. It was really incredible to talk to him and someone that has spanned the show for such a long time. It felt very special. Hopefully in future episodes, there'll be a little there'll be a little Ken Alejandro family moment. I want to see more of their like fam. Yeah. Take a little baby out of the carrier. Have Olivia yeah. shake it. Puke on Carisi. <laughs> Carisi make a cute comment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
maybe have Rollins' daughters and Ernest's little baby play together. But Noah's not invited. We hate Noah. No, you hate Noah. I hate Noah. You hate Noah. Hate's a strong word. I find him annoying. Um, let's get into our postmortem. What did we learn from today's Don't episode? lie. Don't lie. Don't ruin people's lives. Stop yeah. it. Don't false accuse teachers. Yes. I don't know. Don't gay bash. I don't, it's like, oh God, the world's <laughs> a nightmare. Um, don't slit your teacher's throat. I, you know, a lot of lessons yeah. in this one. Yeah, I don't know. I have, I have like sort of mixed feelings about all the Mary Kay Latorno stuff that is like always put in the media because I know we talked about this on another episode where I was like, why are they making that show a teacher? Like, like that's oh, sorry. It's a teacher, but I'm saying a teacher on Hulu. And then a bunch of people wrote me uh, on our, our socials and were like, no, that's actually a great show that shows about how they traumatize the boy. So that's great. I'm glad that that's out there. Let's all watch a teacher. But I feel like what I learned or what I knew is that like, it's not going to work out with you and your teacher, even though it did with Mary Kay Letourneau. She did marry her student, but I don't think anybody was happy. They got a divorce. Situation. They ended up getting divorced and she actually passed recently. Um, but she's never going to come to Montreal with you. It doesn't matter that you have two years of high school French. It's not going to work. Well, out. and I blame his father. Yeah. I blame his father. I blame him. I blame everything. Um, yeah. Also, if you know that someone like this unrequited lesbian crush on you, don't try to make it look like they committed a crime. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it's just a lot. But this is star studded. So um, I did enjoy that in terms of. Episodes. Yes. Um, I also learned that um, schools have rare book archives. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. If you have a rare book archive in your school, you are going to have a good life. So at the bar yesterday, there was all these people wildly from my old high school. Really? Yeah. And we got to chatting and we were talking at the theater department and the people that were not from our high school were shocked. And I, I did have really cool stuff at my high school, but we had an incredible theater department, like costume shop, set design thing. Like wow. we did eight shows a year. I was in a Kabuki production. <laughs> I did a show. I did a Charlotte's Web where our set was like a, a book and we traveled with it and went to schools and performed the play. Oh, yes. Like you've told me about that. Like I, we just did some. I took a sports marketing class in my high school. I did a weightlifting. I did rock climbing for an elective in gym. Like I think, you know, and I was a public school in the suburbs, but not rare books, but I guess I came from a really great place. And why have you not been highlighted on their notable alumni? Not famous enough yet. I don't know. I don't know what to do, but they're like, you know, we're from the degenerates <laughs> class of 2000. <laughs> well, I think I've talked about how we do. We do have a former supermodel from our high school who dated Leonardo DiCaprio. So she'll always be number one, no matter how many Oscars anyone wins. Once you date Leo, that's the top of the What's game. What's her name? Um, her name is Erin Heatherton. Oh, that is from that does sound familiar. She was a Victoria's Secret angel. I mean, she was she's incredible. I think she's back in Chicago and opened like a Pilates studio or something. And <laughs> um, as, as far as my stalking goes on the Internet. But little Esther is um, a comedian who also went to my high school. We were in Godspell together. I think that's a fun little connect. Yeah. You know, I only went to high school with Katherine Heigl and Madison for Million Dollar Listing. <laughs> I think that's huge. Oh, and oh, yeah, we talk, I, <laughs> I like that. The Yeah, I wonder because we repeat um, in our personal lives. We repeat the same things over and over again. And I wonder what's going to happen with the future of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
like in a few years, they're like, we know about Aaron Heatherton. You don't have to talk about her again. <laughs> Hannah already does that. Hannah's like, I try to cut it out. <laughs> She's like, how would I know about your high school Charlotte's Web production if you hadn't already said it on the podcast? <laughs> But it was wild meeting all these uh, Skokie girls. But it also I've actually I also at the park uh, ran into uh, like all these people that walk dogs recognize my sister's dog and they're like, Bailey. And so I met up with this dog walking community in the suburbs that all knew my dad and my brother in law. And so I'm talking to all these dog walker people, but they all went, you know, one of them went to my high school, too. But like, we're old. I'm old now. They're yeah. graduating 2012, 2013, 2010. I'm like, but don't call yourself old. Cause if you're old, then what am I? I mean, everyone knows I'm a couple years older than you. No, no, no. It's not about old or not. Everything. I know I'm a young human. I hopefully have decades of living to do. <laughs> I, it's not like um, a self-deprecating thing. It's just suddenly a thing where I see myself as 23 always. Like, yeah. even though I have gray hair, I'm just like kind of chilling and living my life, especially being in Chicago. Right now, It's like, oh, I'm regressing. Um, so <laughs> it's just a shock to be like, oh, whoa. OK. I guess I guess I am a grown woman. <laughs> um, OK, well, let's hop into our what would Sister Peg do segment where we give you guys resources, uh, organizations that can uh, you can donate to or you can go to find more information about the subjects that we touched on in today's episode. And this week we're highlighting an amazing organization. I love this organization, um, The Trevor Project. Uh, that's www.thetrevorproject.org. If you watch Drag Race, they talk about The Trevor Project all the time. It's the leading national organization providing crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to the LGBTQ plus community and young people under 25. Trained counselors are there to support 24-7. So if you're a young person in crisis or need a safe space to talk, you can call the Trevor Lifeline at 1-866-488-7386. But you can also go to trevorproject.org to find out a lot more about what they do. Thank you so much for that, Kara. Um, and because I've heard of the Trevor Project, but I didn't know all the full details about it. So thank you for that. Um, get involved, bitches. And then next week, we will be covering Signature. That's season nine, episode 12. Um, watch it on Hulu, VPN Sticks, Amazon. No, what's the other one? Peacock. The episodes are out there. Find them. We are thrilled you guys listen. It's a joy uh, to do this podcast and we'll see you soon bye that's messed up is an exactly right production if you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover shoot us an email at that's messed up pod at gmail.com follow the podcast on instagram at that's messed up pod and on twitter at messed up pod and follow us personally at kara clank and at glitter cheese as always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to SVU Superfan and our incredible producer, Hannah Kyle Creighton. And to our sound engineer and personal hero, Annalise Nelson. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song. To Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thanks to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an advertiser interested in advertising on our show, go to midroll.com slash ads. Dun-dun! <laughs>